right, well, before we get going here, I'm going to take advantage of my uh, opportunity and uh, the place that I have right now, and I want to wish my mother a happy birthday. It's her birthday tomorrow, uh, 32, which makes me super young. <laughs> Pretty close, right? And then my wife, uh, my wife Sarah, her birthday is on November 13th, so I uh, just uh, want to give them a round of applause. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Well, we are in a series right now called Living in 4D. Living in 4D. Now, that might confuse some of you because, like, my family and I, we're big Disney people, and so, you know, we've been to Disney World, and if you've gone on some of those rides, you know, they, they claim that they're 4D, right? Which means that you experience it visually, you, you, uh, you're experiencing some motion, you hear things, and then you get sprayed in the face with, like, water and stuff like that. Well, I I promise you that nothing's coming out of those pews or chairs, all right? So what does living in 4D mean? Well, we began to kind of tackle that last week. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we need to address in our lives is that when we think of spirituality, that encompasses not just the spiritual things that are prevalent, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against rulers of this dark world, and that is certainly true. But a lot of times what we do is we segment our spirituality and put everything else over here. And what we need to understand is that all of us, meaning that, that, that the entirety of who we are is spiritual, that we are spiritual beings. We talked about that last week, how every single person here is going to exist for eternity. The question is whether you're going to exist for eternity with God or without Him. And so we looked at three questions when we considered living in 4D and what that means. The first question is, what is true freedom? What is true freedom? And when we begin to explore that, we tackled how the word freedom is used flippantly, you know, so often. And how freedom really isn't. It absolutely is not doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That is not freedom. As a matter of fact, that's the opposite of freedom. That's enslavement to yourself and to the world. Rather, true freedom is being who it is that God created you to be. Being a slave to God. And we looked at a hierarchy, because we asked the other question, what are you a slave to? And I know that talking to you some uh, last Sunday, as well as during the week, that this was a question that you courageously began to ask God. What am I a slave to? Because that hierarchy, the ideal hierarchy, is God, us, and the world. So the way that we should live our lives is to understand that God is master, and we are subject to God, and the world then should be subject to us. But rather in our lives, we flip that. You know, where we become subject to the world. We put the world in aspects of the world, whether that is in our, in our physical life or in our mental life or in our emotional life or even in our spiritual life. We put things of the world above God and above ourselves. So we then are subject to the world and then we try to fool ourselves in thinking that God could be subject to us. 
So what are you a slave to? And then we ask that proverbial question, are you living in 4D? Meaning, are you living the wholeness of the Christian life? Have you decided to find and follow Jesus? Have you made him the leader of your life? And then are you living four-dimensionally, meaning are you giving him the best of yourself physically? I talked last week about how physically I had made that the master of my life. And how instead I had to flip that hierarchy and make myself submissive to God and put the world in submission to me. So are you giving God the best of what He's given you physically? Are you giving Him the best of what He's given you mentally? Are you giving Him the best of what He's given you spiritually? And then are you giving Him the best of what He's given you, what we're talking about today, emotionally? And by doing this, by understanding that all four components are necessary to the Christian life because God created you to be physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual beings. And if we, if we segment those things, if we put the spirituality, or at least what we, what we claim as spiritual over here and say, God, this is yours, but we put those other things of our life, the physical, the emotional, the mental, over here, we're actually not giving God all of us. So we're going to talk, we're going to explore a little bit more about what it means to live a four-dimensional whole Christian life. Before we do, we're going to pray a prayer of submission. We're going to pray a prayer that's going to require some courage and a willingness to step forward and to say, God, here I am. And I'm going I'm to open it up and then I want to give each of you a few moments to just take advantage of some quiet. And for those of you, it may be the first time that you've experienced quiet in a while. And I want you to ask God what, what King David asked of him in Psalm 139. Search my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me. Test me and know my thoughts and then lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, today is yet another opportunity, and I really believe that this morning, as you've been speaking to me over the course of this week, and, and even this morning, I just felt, Lord, that today was a pivotal, is a pivotal moment for someone in this room, and that today is going to be a day in which they're going to see you in a different light and willingly and courageously lay down the things that they've allowed to be the master over them at your feet and submit themselves wholly to you. I pray, Lord, that as you are in this place, as you are here in our midst, Lord, and as you speak to us, that we would have the courage to listen and to respond. Let's take a few moments and pray individually, asking God to do just that. Amen. We're going to look at three statements today. Three statements that I think are essential 
to being emotionally healthy. And being emotionally healthy means that we are then being spiritually diligent. Three things that we're going to look at today and three sayings that I'm going to ask you to repeat out loud. And the first is this. I am a clay jar. Would you say that? I am a clay jar. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I am a clay jar. All right. I am a clay jar. Now, this is a pot, but if we can get past that, all right? I am a clay jar. If we're willing to say that here this morning, it's going to have profound impact on our lives, and we're going we're gonna to look at why. Now, we, we see the, the reality of this truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, it's in the New Testament. Um, if you don't, it's on the screen, so no worries. You have your Bible app, you can certainly follow along there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul He's been sharing some truth up to this point, and now he continues when he says, uh, you know, we look at the conjunctions. Those conjunctions are very important, not only as we read, but certainly as we process the Word of God. So we'll look at verse 6 here in just a minute. But it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay is what Paul is using to describe you and and me. But what's interesting, and when when you've ever held a, a jar of clay, you immediately recognize how fragile these are. Raise your hand if you've broken one of these before. Way more than I thought, actually. You guys need to be a little bit more careful. <laughs> These things are easily broken. And as such, you would never, never dream of putting something precious inside of here, would you? Like you would never think of putting something in here that you wanted protected, that you didn't want damaged, inside of here thinking that it would keep whatever you put inside secure. You would never imagine doing that because these things are so fragile. And they're so easily broken. So we're described as jars of clay. How do you feel about that? You are vulnerable. You are easily broken. You are so susceptible to falling into a bunch of different pieces. But we try our best to ignore our vulnerability. We try so hard to ignore the fact that we're easily broken. And some of us are even maybe ashamed of that. 
And so we try desperately to prove to ourselves and to others that we aren't, in fact, vulnerable, that we aren't, in fact, fragile or prone to being broken into a bunch of pieces, and we try in vain to present ourselves as strong or able to to withstand everything or anything, but that is certainly and desperately not true. We are fragile, and it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much for us to break. It doesn't take much in life to come at us and to cause us to crumble. And before long, we find ourselves completely broken. We find the remnants of our lives scattered around, and, and then we look desperately at the pieces of our life, and, and we think, how could this be? And we try to find ways to put ourselves back together again, but all the king's horses and all that now. <laughs> we are vulnerable, and we are so prone to being broken. But we try to convince ourselves that that's not the case. We try to ignore that fact or we're ashamed of it. But that's who we are. We're jars of clay. So then it's interesting that Paul would here in this passage say that in something so fragile, in something so easily broken, that that is where his treasure is placed. That the thing that, that God holds the most dear, the most precious, he actually places inside of something that is so fundamentally fragile. So what is this treasure that Paul is referring to in verse 7? Well, we see that in the previous verse, remember, whenever you see a conjunction, always go to the verses before. So we got the buts or the therefores and the ands. Those are so essential to understanding the Bible in its context. So we go to verse 6, and we see this. Paul says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness. We actually looked at this verse a few weeks back. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So that's the passage that he gives before, and he follows that up and says, but we have this treasure. So this treasure that is placed in jars of clay is the person of Jesus Christ, who then is the light of God's glory. So that those who believe, those who have decided to follow Jesus and make him the leader of their life, you then receive the treasure that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus then shining through you is then the personification of the glory of God. So why? Why in the world would God place his treasure inside of something so fragile. Well, Paul tells us in verse 7 where he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us, to show us 
and others that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the first thing is we need to recognize and accept that we are vulnerable. See, the point here is that for those who have given their life to Jesus, the light of God's glory, Jesus is inside of you. It's inside of this vulnerable jar of clay so that God's all-surpassing power comes from Him and not from you. And why in the world would that be important? Why would it be important for us to understand our vulnerability, for us to embrace our vulnerability? Because of this second statement that's really important for us to really accept. Life will happen. Say that out loud. Life will happen. There's no question about it. We all know this. We all experience this. One day we're on the mountaintop and the next day we're in the valley, right? Life will happen. It ebbs and flows. We see this in a beautiful passage that was made into a song that you may have um, heard and maybe not even known that it was in the Bible, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, we see this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Everything turn, turn. Life ebbs and flows. It rises and it falls. Life will happen. It's not a question of if. It's only a question of when. This leaf here. This leaf has two million brothers and sisters. And they're all in my yard. And I got to tell you, I looked at my yard and it was overwhelming. I could see the leaves fall over the last few weeks and I could have ignored it. I could have wished it not to be true. But that would never change the fact that they did fall, that they will fall, and I will one day, which was yesterday, have to gather them up. That's just like life. We can ignore it. We can try to not think about it. But life will happen. 
because sin has ravaged this world, because we are broken and fallen, because the world is broken and fallen because of sin, life will happen. So let's backtrack just a moment. We are vulnerable. We are, we are clay jars, meaning that we are broken easily. It doesn't take much for life to hit us and to then break into a multitude of pieces. But in Friedman, in, in a book uh, by, um, uh, by uh, Friedman, um, I want to get the, the author right here. Um, Edwin Friedman, sorry, his book, A Failure of Nerve, which is a wonderful book, he writes that we must come to love vulnerability. We must come to love it. How in the world do you love vulnerability? You love vulnerability by knowing that the power and the strength doesn't come from you, it comes from God. And so if we can love vulnerability, if we can embrace the fact that we are prone to being broken so easily, and then if we accept the fact that life will happen, and we will be struck, we will be, be hit, we will be challenged, we will face strife and, and trials and tribulation. If we can understand those two things, then the third statement rings so true and becomes so crucial. And that is, I'm not alone. Say that out loud. I'm not alone. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. That verse is saying that Jesus, He's our high priest. He is the one who intercedes on our behalf to God that He is able to empathize in our weaknesses. How is that possible? Well, Jesus had emotions too. See, he was 100% God, the Bible tells us, and then he was also 100% man. Meaning that every emotion imaginable, he experienced. If you go through the Bible, you see evidence of that. Here's just a few examples. Uh, he experienced anxiety. As he was preparing to go to the cross, Jesus prayed with such great anxiety that he sweat drops of blood in Luke 22. He experienced anger. Jesus was angry with the Pharisees who opposed him healing the man with a deformed hand on the Sabbath in Mark chapter 3. He experienced sadness. From the Mount of Olives, Jesus looked down on Jerusalem and wept with sadness because they rejected God's offer of peace in Luke 19. He experienced surprise. Jesus felt amazed by the faith of the Roman officer in Luke chapter 7. He felt love. 
He felt genuine love for people like the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. He experienced joy. He was exceedingly joyful when he saw that 72 ordinary disciples were able to minister the power of God's kingdom to people in Luke 10. He experienced peace. He felt peace from heaven's world and shared this with his disciples before they died in John 14. And he experienced rejection. Jesus felt rejection when he was betrayed by his friend Judas in Luke 22. Jesus knows and understands the complexities of our emotions. He understands how it is that our lives ebb and flow, that we can be on the mountaintop one minute and the next be in the valley low. He's dealt with every kind of emotion imaginable, but the, but the point here today. I'm not trying to make you feel better by saying that you have this supernatural shoulder to cry on. That's not the point. The point is, is that we have someone who understands us better than we could ever understand ourselves. There is somebody who understands you better, who knows you better, who can empathize with you better than anyone else can. And that person is the living God, Jesus. The living God. And even better than having someone who is the living God the creator of all things, know you and empathize with you better than yourself or anyone else could, that's one thing. But then if you've decided to make him the leader of your life and to follow him, he's inside of you. He's inside of you. That treasure that is Jesus has been placed inside of you inside of a, a jar of clay, a jar of clay that, that crumbles at just a simple strike. But here's what happens, and God knows this full well, that when the treasure of Jesus Christ is placed inside of a jar of clay that is so fragile, that is so vulnerable, that is so easily broken, it becomes strong, not because of anything that jar is able to withstand, but because of what's been placed inside of it. So I know this looks silly, but what I've done here is I've taken that same pot and I've placed this, this spray foam inside that has hardened. And what that has interestingly done is it hasn't changed the makeup or the ability for this pot to be able to withstand. It, it's still the same structure. It's still the same material. But instead, when I strike this, it doesn't crumble. Instead, what it does is it reveals not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that the treasure of Jesus Christ has been placed in something so vulnerable, so easily broken, so that when life hits us, in the following verse, in verses 8 through 9, when we're hard-pressed on every side, 
We're not crushed. Even though we're perplexed, we're not in despair. Even though we're persecuted, we're not abandoned. Even though we're struck down, we're not destroyed. When we look at this, we see surely that pot should not be able to withstand the strikes and blows from life. That jar should not be able to remain together. And so when we see these cracks, when we see these scars, we're not focused on the jar, but rather we're focused on what's keeping it together. Our weakness, our vulnerability, it's not something to be ignored. It's not something to be ashamed of. It is something to be loved and cherished. Further on in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, he says in verse 9, But Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Here's the point. Our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, those are, something, those are things that we should cherish, that we should love. Because it is only when we are weak that God's strength is made perfect. And when God's strength is made perfect, we are then being who it is that we were created to be. And we're truly free. Stop trying to pretend that you have it all together. Be okay with the fact that you have cracks and that you are easily broken. If you have decided to follow Jesus and make Him the leader of your life, then you have the treasure of Jesus Christ inside of you so that, so that when you're struck, you're not destroyed. And the glory of God is revealed. If you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus and to make him the leader of your life, I want to tell you, you're trying to live your life as a vulnerable and as a fragile jar of clay, which is who all of us are. But without the treasure, without Jesus inside of you, you are prone to being broken into a bunch of different pieces. But here's the profound truth. Even if this is you, if this is you today and you've been broken, you've been scattered and the pieces are laying all around you and you're wondering how in the world can I be made whole when the treasure of Jesus is placed inside of you, He makes you whole. He puts those pieces back together again. And then the, the beautiful thing is, is you're going to get struck. You're going to get hit because life happens and we're vulnerable. But that's the point. It isn't us. It's the power of God saving us. 
So I want to do something here today. I want to ask that every head would be bowed and every eyes or eye would be closed. And, and I just want to create a safe space here. Because as I mentioned earlier, there, there is somebody here in this space that God has been placing on my heart over this week. And I really believe that this is a moment, this is a turning point in this person's life. So this is what I want to do. For those of you with every head bowed, with every eye closed, for those of you who have decided to follow Jesus and make him the leader of your life, you have received the treasure that's been placed inside of your jar of clay. But you, maybe you haven't been living in vulnerability. Maybe you haven't accepted the fragility of who you are and you tried to do this on your own instead of relying on the strength and the power that needs to be revealed through God working in you. Now, if that's you, if you have yet to truly allow God's power and strength to be realized in your life, and today is a day, today is a time that you want to turn that tide and you want to allow God's strength and power to, to shine through you instead of you trying to do this all on your own. If that's you, what I want you to do in three seconds, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. I want you to keep your hand raised and I want you to pray this prayer with me. For those of you with your hands raised, pray this prayer. Father God, I have tried so desperately to hide my vulnerability. I have tried to do this on my own. But I don't want to do that anymore. Instead, I want your strength to be made perfect in my weakness. And I want to allow you to fully exist within me so that you can not only lead me and the those around me, Father, but through me, others can see your glory. I pray, I pray that for my, my life today. Guide me and lead me. Pray this in your name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there is someone here in this room that I believe has yet to make a decision to find and to follow Jesus, to say, I need you in my life, that I am an empty jar of clay, and that I, I have been struck, and I have been destroyed, and instead I want to have the treasure of Jesus inside me so that even though I'm fragile and so easily broken, that because I have that treasure, that I will remain intact, not because of what I've done, but because of what God has done through Jesus. Now, if that's you, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and to have your life filled up, to have your clay jar filled up with the treasure that is Jesus, if that's you, I want, to, I want you to raise your hand in, at the count of three. One two, three. And I want to pray for you, Father God. Today is a day in which I am deciding to give you my life. I can't and won't do this anymore on my own. I am an empty vessel, and Lord, I want to receive 
the treasure that is Jesus. Fill me up. Save me because I can't save myself. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead and that you're living today. And that by believing in you, by deciding to follow you and make you the leader of my life, that I will receive the treasure of Jesus. And even though life will happen, even though I am vulnerable and so easily destroyed, that I will not be because of you. Not because of me, but because of you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.